Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hochberg, and this is episode number 306. Believe it or not, there's a lot of people out there that love cruising so much that it has changed their lives. I certainly fall into this category, having started Royal Caribbean Blog as a result of falling in love with a cruise vacation. And this week, we get to chat with someone that literally wrote the book on how a cruise can change your life. Author Paul Thornton recently wrote a book that looks at bloggers, influencers, godmothers, and everyone else in between that has had part or all of their lives shaped by cruising. Here we go. You know, we all go on cruises for different reasons. I think we all started cruising for very different reasons, and we continue to cruise for even other varied reasons. And today's guest actually got to think about why. Tried to get dig into the why behind the how and, and the whatnot. And uh, it's actually uh, joining me on today's show is Paul Thornton, who's the author of The Joy of Cruising, Passionate Cruisers, Fascinating Stories. And Paul interviewed a number of people in and around the cruise industry, including myself. I am prominently featured ahead of Scott Sanders. So thank you very much. Paul, welcome to the show. I'm glad to be here. Well, it's a pleasure to have you in here, and uh, this was a really interesting book. I know you approached me with this. When did you start this project? It's been a while. Well, I started, I guess my first words were put to paper in March of 18. I had booked a cruise um, for Christmas of 18. I booked it right after Christmas of 17, and... And so I did a lot of research and and uh, uh, reading the boards and all of that. And by by March, I had convinced myself that this is something I wanted to pursue as a as a book project. So why did you why why this particular topic of which the book is really about the watch? Well, first of all, tell our listeners what the book is about, and then why did you choose to go in this direction? Why did you choose to write a book about this? So the book is about uh, it examines. Uh, passionate cruisers uh, and and what's behind their passion what what is it that that makes them act upon their passion and how have they acted upon their passion so there are stories of people who have done some uh, uh, very unique things fascinating things uh, and then there are others who who have acted on their passion in in practical ways ways to to create a business create a uh, uh, a lifestyle, uh, uh, write a blog, uh, write a book. I have an author that I, I profiled. Uh, start a uh, theme cruise company. So I, I just look at ways in which uh, uh, cruisers uh, pursue their passion. And what gave me the idea for the book, I, I guess I've been cruising uh, on a regular basis for the last several years. Uh, I have grandchildren. And uh, I, I love to cruise with my grandchildren, so I try to take them on a cruise every year. And, and I'm one of these people that, you know, I research things to death. And, and in the course of my research, going to, the, going to YouTube and going to the blogs and, and, and going to the discussion boards and the Facebook groups and what have you, uh, what struck me was just how, how passionate, I know I'm using that word, but that's what the book is really about. It's about passion. How passionate some cruises are. Uh, you know, I, I came across a uh, uh, discussion thread on, 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 on one site, and it, it talked about, uh, it asked a question, you know, 
on average, how much do people cruise every year? And there were some people who cruised two times a year, three times a year. But then there were people who said they cruised, you know, five and 10 and 15 times a year. And in the book, I actually profile uh, one couple who went on 21 cruises in 2018. Wow. That's it's you really do have a wide array of people here. It's not just bloggers. There's I mean, There are bloggers in here, but there's also uh, folks that are influencers. Our good friend uh, Sherry from Cruise Tips TV is in here. You've got other writers. You've got people that choose their, their lifestyle. There's a ship's godmother. Uh, Joe Church is on here, who we also had on this podcast, about his running on board. You've got people that perform and work on cruise ships and really everything in between. I mean, it's, you really reached all aspects of this. How challenging was it Paul, to collect this cornucopia of, of viewpoints, perspectives in cruising? At first, it was very difficult, Matt, because I am just a, a voice on the internet. And, and, and I joke about that in the book. I, I literally was a voice on the internet, and I would just reach out to people, uh, cold calls. I mean, you remember when I reached out to you, uh, and there were some people, once I decided to pursue this project, there were some people that I had in mind, uh, so I reached out to them right away, um, and, and, and I was used to being turned down, uh, but, you know, I started to get a couple of uh, successes, and, and then one thing built on another. Uh, I had one guy, uh, he's he's nationally known, he's, a, he's, a, he's internationally known, a comedian. Uh, he won uh, uh, a season of uh, Last Comic Standing, a show that that, that used to run on uh, network television. Alonzo Bowden, uh, and he's a favorite of mine. I listen to his podcast, and and every year around the same time, he 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 uh, does his podcast from cruise ships. So I knew he had some interest in cruising. I just assumed that he was you know, performing as a comedian, because every cruise ship I've been on has had uh, a, a stand-up comedians. It turns out uh, he is very much involved. He's a cruise director for uh, the Smooth Jazz Cruise. And so uh, I finally, uh, you know, I just I just cold call, reached out to him, would, would, would respond to him on Twitter. And finally, one day, he said, okay, I give up. Who are you? And so... <laughs> And, and so that's what I had to keep trying to do. But, you know, I, I had, you know, there were many people who I tried to get in the book and, and who weren't, who, you know, who, who didn't agree to, to be uh, interviewed. Interesting. Yeah, no, Paul emailed me. This was, I found his first emails, uh, April 23rd, 2018. Hi, Matt. Here's hoping this note makes it past your spam filter. <laughs> which <laughs> is a, which if you want to get in somebody's inbox and get a response, you've got to be more, you know, creative than just, hello, my name is Paul and blah, 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 blah. You got to. You know, I, I like that. So um, what, you know, in, in researching this book and going through all this, Paul, what surprised you the most? One thing that that that, you know, people think of cruising as as meant largely for uh, an older demographic. And I know that's changing. Uh, uh, and there's a lot of things that are kind of uh, uh, moving that change along, like like what's happening at, you know, uh, uh, at Coco Cay and, 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 and all of that. But generally, cruising has been thought of as, as for an older demographic. And I profile in the book uh, several uh, millennials 
who ha- have just done some some wonderful things in, in cruising. Uh, um, uh, one woman uh, at 23 uh, years old, she was uh, uh, chosen as uh, the Wave Award for the most popular cruise blogger in UK. Uh, and and actually, the name of her blog is "Cruising Isn't Just for Old People," or "Isn't Just for Older People." Uh, so, so that's one of the things that really surprised me: uh, the millennials who are doing uh, uh, unbelievable things in cruising. In fact, probably the the guy with the second highest number of cruises in the book is is a 34 year old. He's been on 100, and, well, at the time of publication, he he had been on 138 cruises. Wow. Yeah, that's that's not nothing. I mean, that's a, quite a dedication there, especially for that and, age. And by the way, you know, it's not about just uh, uh, a volume of cruising uh, or, or number of cruises that you've been on. There are several uh, people profiled in the book who who really didn't become uh, what's the word uh, known in the cruising world until their very first cruise, and 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 then they develop a passion after that first cruise. You mentioned the uh, cruise ship godmother, uh, Elizabeth Hill. Uh, When she was selected as the cruise ship godmother, uh, uh, she had never been on a cruise. And now her name is is forever uh, emblazoned on a plaque on uh, Independence of the Seas. Isn't that amazing that you can have that? I mean, it's it's so incredible that people can have that and, and go from that. Because a lot of times cruise ships were, you know, the, the godmother, well, really back in the day, the godmother was kind of like something you would give to like, you know, your uncle or something as like a kind of like, it was, it was really, it always is a ceremonial role, but it hasn't quite reached the prominence that it has today. And uh, now it's a lot of celebrities and things of that nature. But every now and then you get those folks, the godmother of harmony of the seas is a teacher in South Florida. And the, it's interesting how the cruise lines use, choose to use the godmother role to recognize folks like you just mentioned there, the independence of the seas godmother. Uh, and then also on the other, on the other side of the coin, you get celebrities, you get athletes, you get, uh, I re- I recall actually there was a carnival ship that just got, uh, just got dedicated. And the godmother, I believe is the, uh, is carnival cruise lines, uh, daughter, the, the chairman's daughter. So it, it goes both ways, but it is kind of cool though. If you're the godmother and your name is there forever, really. Yeah, they do some they do some interesting things with with the godparents of, of ships, and they just named uh, recently named a uh, godfather. Um, uh, he's the uh, uh, Pit- the rapper. People. Yep. So so you know that, and then uh, 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 royal named uh, uh, god so called godmother uh, uh, after uh, New York first responders in the first ship that launched out of the New York area after 9-11. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's really interesting to look at how that's changed, but that's, a, that's maybe a topic for another book, Paul, you can write about the, the godmothers and the, and the ships they sail on. Um, but you know, surprisingly, Matt, um, a lot of seasoned cruisers don't really, uh, don't realize what a godmother is and, and that, you know, what, why do ships have godmothers? So I try to do a little bit in, in the uh, chapter where I, I profile Elizabeth, Elizabeth Phil, I try to educate uh, a, lo- a little bit on how the uh, tradition started. And, mm-hmm. and yes, it is uh, 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 typically uh, dominated by celebrities, but every once in a while, uh, you know, cruise lines try to uh, 
recognize some kind of cause. Absolutely. It's, it is really interesting how you look at, I'm sure you, you just mentioned that a lot of the uh, veteran cruisers may not be aware of some of the traditions and maritime reasons for, you know, one thing or another. And, and I'm sure that a lot of that came through in the book because, you know, not only did you look at an interview and talk to people who obviously cover the industry in a variety of ways or are related to the industry in a variety of ways, but you also got a chance to see how they look at different perspectives because some people look at it from the fan perspective. You've then got on the flip side people that work, you know, with the cruise line or for the cruise line in order to, to be there. Uh, you must have seen just a myriad of different ways to look at essentially the same basic idea. Yeah. A, a good, a, a good case in point is, um, uh, there's a chapter called card player cruises. So it's about, there's a section in the book on, on, on theme cruising. Uh, and, and I really love that section. I love the notion of theme cruising because, uh, you know, it's, it's like two passions. So it's a, a passion for cruising and a passion for whatever the theme might be. Uh, and so the, the, the woman who, who started or, or one of the partners who started Card Player Cruises uh, is profiled in the book. And, and she is, if you can Google her, uh, uh, look her up on Wikipedia, she is known as the first lady of poker. Uh, she's in both the Poker Hall of Fame and, and the Women's Poker Hall of Fame. And, and, and so she was you know, famous in Vegas as a poker player and decided to start a theme cruise company, uh, and that's that's what they do. They 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 do charter cruises. Uh, sometimes they charter the whole ship. Uh, uh, most of the time, they you know they charter just a group cruise, and and they have uh, you know sometimes they have televised uh, 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 world class poker tournaments. So it's you know that's an example of someone who who just took a uh, 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 passion they already had. And, and married it up with their passion uh, for cruising and, and, and created a, a business out of it. You know, you mentioned passion a lot, and you said that that's really the, the nature of this book about looking at, examining the passion. After re- writing the book and reading the book, what's your take on, did it answer the question for you? Do you have a better sense of why why we're so weird <laughs> and, and cover all this? And, and, and did it give you more insight into it? Did it expose something that you weren't expecting? Well, when it, when you ask the question, why do people do what they do uh, with regard to cruising, it, it, they act on their passion in so many diverse ways. There is no single reason why. Uh, sometimes it's because they can. But, but in many cases, uh, there are many people in the book who, who cruise uh, and do wonderful things in the world of cruising, and and they're not uh, super, uh, you know, affluent, or, or at least they weren't affluent when they started. It was just, you know, something that about being on a cruise ship uh, that that just grabbed them. So you know, some people get the the cruising bug at a very early age. I mean, I have a picture in the book of a photo in the book of a, uh, a, a young uh, cruiser on the bridge when he was two years old in, in the ca- captain's uh, uh, area. And, and he's that same person that I mentioned earlier who has 138 cruises at age 34. Wow. It's, it's a, it is really incredible 
to think about. A lot of people ask me, you know, personally, you know, Matt, why did you start RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com or how did you start? And people, I think, assume that I had this like master vision in the same way that I might start a restaurant. You know, if you start a restaurant, you don't just start a restaurant because you want to feed your kids. You start a restaurant because it's a business and you want to make money and this is what you want to do, right? At, at least at the very basic point. But with a lot of what people do here, I think they kind of almost, I don't want to say back into it, but it never necessarily starts exactly with a master plan. A lot of it may come just you know, like, like the, the the person that you just talked about that's been cruising for, you know, basically his entire life, but didn't start out with that being the plan. I didn't start out with RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com becoming necessarily where it is today. And I'm sure others have a similar background. And it's, it's kind of interesting how I think that, like you said, Paul, it kind of grabs you at some point. And either you get it or you don't. But if it gets you, you know, one day you're, you're on one end of this microphone, right? Either yourself or myself talking about why it's so it, it means so much to us yeah you know i would ask every uh, person that i i profiled or interviewed um did they you know did did it grab them after their first cruise or or or, or did it come later and i will tell you i would say nine out of ten uh it was that first experience uh in some cases you know, the first cruise didn't quite do it. Um, uh, you know, a couple of people mentioned that, you know, they weren't, their first cruise they went on and it was like a honeymoon or something like that or, or it was some kind of celebration and everything was a blur. Uh, they, they, they got a taste of liking it and, and then, but they didn't really, it didn't really grab them until the second or third cruise. But uh, most people, once they go on a cruise, uh, it, you know, they're hooked. That that was the case, as you know, that was the case with, with Joe Church. You know, he, his wife would go off on cruises uh, alone and, and he wasn't interested until, you know, she convinced him uh, or she told him that every cruise ship has a, a, a running track. You know, for your uh, listeners, Joe Church is the gentleman who has run a, a marathon on every Royal Caribbean ship. And uh, so he once he found out there was a, a, a way to run on the ship, he decided to go on one cruise and he was immediately hooked. And, and that's pretty much uh, typical of the people I interviewed. Oh, that makes total sense. And I, I guess the real question for me is you took this time, a couple of years to write the book, interviewed a lot of people, talked to a lot of people. How has after looking back at the book and all this, how has the book changed you and how you cruise? Well, uh, I tell you, literally, uh, I just booked my first um, uh, European cruise uh, 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 for November of uh, 2020. And, and you know, that's not something that I, I mean, I guess I, I probably would have gone, thought about going on a European cruise uh, when I retire. Uh, mm -hmm. I won't be retired in November of 2020. But after talking to people, uh, that one was one that uh, I kind of uh, accelerated uh, uh, going on a European cruise. So, so every every person I interviewed, I would ask them about you know bucket list cruises or you know uh, uh, or, or either experiences that they've already done that were you know very memorable, and and I I just kept hearing things about uh, Europe and, and 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 several people pointed out. You know, Barcelona was their favorite uh, port. So, 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 so that's now on my uh, 
on on my schedule. Uh, Panama Canal cruise is, is something that a lot of people brought up. Uh, Alaska cruise, uh, uh, an Alaskan cruise is something a lot of people brought up. So to answer your question, the way it has changed me is it has uh, 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 affected the way I think about uh, uh, going on cruises. I used to be content just going to the Caribbean and and you know just 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 laying back and and, and relaxing. Uh, but you know, I want to do a little more now. Nice, that's great. It's a it's a tremendous book. Uh, first of all, thank you for including me in the book. It was a tremendous honor. Uh, after I realized your email was not spam, I uh, <laughs> I was I, I was deeply touched that you reached out to me. So thank you so much. And again, uh, you can actually pick up Paul's book. It's available online, you know, Amazon and pretty much where fine books are sold. And we'll post a link in our show notes at royalcreamblog.com so you can pick up a copy for yourselves. And again, I am featured in the book and some other folks that you've heard on this podcast as well. Scott Sanders, Joe Church. Uh, so definitely a really interesting look at the cruise, the people behind the cruise industry. It's it's not it's not a heavy read. It's a pretty light read. and But it's it's some really interesting stories. If you want to, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably in that, <laughs> you're in the audience that would find this kind of interesting. So check it out. Uh, we'll have a link in our show notes. And Paul, before I let you go, since it is your first time on this and on the podcast with me here, I'd like to get to know you a little bit better. So I'm gonna ask you a couple of quick questions about how you like to cruise. So uh, just say the first thing that comes to your mind as soon as I answer the question. A little rapid fire with you if that works for you. Okay. All right. What is your favorite restaurant on a Royal Caribbean ship? Well, uh, because everything I do in cruising, it, it involves my grandkids. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say the, the Windjammer because, you know, with grandkids, you, you're trying to get them to eat something other than hamburgers and hot dogs. And there's just so much variety at the Windjammer. Uh, you know, that, that, that helps a lot. For me personally, uh, I, I went on the Anthem of the Seas in December. Uh, for those in your audience who are about to go on Anthem, find the Cafe 270. It's, it's a hidden spot. Uh, gourmet grilled cheese, uh, uh, Royals uh, uh, signature, what do you call it? Uh, Kumawek. I'm probably saying it wrong. Yep, Kumawek sandwich. Yep. Roast sandwich. Uh, so so the, I, I like that. I'm, I'm not a big uh, specialty restaurant guy. No worries. What's your preferred drink while on a Royal Caribbean cruise? Uh, Miami Vice. Oh, that's a good choice. I like that one. And what is your uh, favorite port of call to visit? Uh, believe it or not, my my favorite, my single favorite port of call uh, was Grand Turk, and the reason is because, uh, again, everything I do, I, I look at through the eyes of my grandchildren. Uh, that's where we discovered a flow rider. They had a uh, the, the 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 world's largest Margaritaville was there. And they had a flow rider, and I just thought it was an amazing uh, innovation. And little did I know that they were on uh, half the Royal Caribbean ships. <laughs> ever, ever since that that particular stop, uh, uh, you know, we we we've been kind of loyal to Royal. There you go. I like that. And what is your lastly? Uh, what's your favorite song on the radio or your phone today? Hmm. Uh, I, I will tell you an, an album, not so much a song, and it's sure. uh, it's Solange, and most people, uh, that's Beyonce's sister. Mm-hmm. So I, I just it, it just just I just like that vibe. Nice, 
Glad to hear that. Well, Paul, thank you so much again. And, and uh, the book, Joy of The Joy of Cruising, check it out. Really, really great stuff. Paul, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. Thank you for having me, Matt. Appreciate it. All right, time to answer your listener emails. This is the part of the episode where I dive into our inbox and read the emails you have sent me. And if you're wondering, whoa, I can send Matt an email about Royal Caribbean? Absolutely. The answer is yes. You can send it to Matt at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com, M-A-T-T at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. Our first email is from Emily Fagan, who writes, we're heading to Alaska for our first time in a few weeks on Ovation to the Seas. We've booked several private excursions for the six of us, whale watching in Juneau and Yukon bus tour with sled dog experience in Skagway. We haven't taken private excursions before. I was wondering, what's the appropriate amount to tip? Should we do a standard percentage of the excursion price or just a set amount? Any assistance would be appreciated. Wow, Emily, this is a tough question. I honestly don't have a firm answer on this. I think most people will tell you is it depends, which I know doesn't really help you. Uh, certainly, if the excursion is, uh, you know, meets or exceeds your expectations, it's probably not a bad idea to offer it. Some excursions have a policy either for or against it, but certainly you wouldn't be out of place by offering it. I don't know that it's a really a percentage. I think usually the way I've looked at it in the past, Emily, has been a per person. You know, you have four people, you have six people in your group as an example. So it would be some number times six, but you should not look at this as a crazy number. Uh, you should, unless of course they go like above and beyond. Like if you have a private excursion and they make like some amazing opportunities for your family, I mean, that's a different story, but it, that's the thing. It's so subjective that it's so hard to say it should be this amount. I mean, you, I could see it depending on the excursion. I could see it as, you know, as low as 20 bucks. I could see it as high as, uh, you know, into the hundreds of dollars, quite frankly. It really depends what you're doing, how much personalization you're asking for. That's also a big component to it. I mean, if you're making specific requests and you're saying, hey, look, I know we weren't supposed to go here, but can we spend some extra time there? Or can we stop over here? Oh, oh, look, there's a there's a bear on the side of the road. Can we just pull over for like 10 minutes and check this out? Like the more personalization, I feel like perhaps that should play into that component. But to say that there's a, a standard rate or something like that, I, I think is just, I don't know that that, that that really exists. My advice to you is go with your gut, what you think is appropriate. And at the end of the day, I think most tour operators would tell you anything is appreciated and they're not going to look at, I mean, unless you're typing like $3 and thinking, you know, this is 1957 and, you know, that's a lot of money. <laughs> I think if you give them a, a reasonable amount, I'm sure it's fine, Emily, and I'm sure that they would uh, certainly appreciate that. So it's a good question, and I hope my answer gave you even a little bit of advice. Our next email is from Nick, who writes, My girlfriend and I recently booked our first cruise. We'll be sailing out of Cape Liberty on Adventure of the Seas on an eight-day Eastern Caribbean itinerary in August 2019. Your podcast has been an incredible source of information. We're both craft beer enthusiasts. RoyalCaribbean.com provides a list of imported and domestic beers and states other craft beer brands will be available. Do you have any idea where I can find a more detailed list of beer available on a, on a sailings from similar itineraries on Voyager-class ships? I've called the Royal Caribbean and had conversations with lovely staff members, but they're unable to provide this information. Nick, Nick, Nick. Thanks for the email. I hope you're sitting down, Nick. Um, I think Royal Caribbean's definition of craft beers and your definition of craft beers may not exactly be aligned. If you're expecting a wide assortment of be craft beers, uh, you should uh, definitely rethink what you're anticipating. Uh, Royal Caribbean usually considers its craft beers, in my experience, to be quite limited, especially, boy, especially if you like darker beers. Um, when they say craft beers, in my experience, that that's limited to beers like Red Hook, 
and like stone IPA. I mean, it, it's fairly limited. I wouldn't, I'd keep your expectations in line and there's just not a lot of it, which, which is unfortunate because I do enjoy a nice IPA or generally just darker beers. They have a decent selection of other beers, but if you're a real craft beer lover, I'm not sure that's really gonna be up your alley, Nick. So just keep that in mind. And certainly if you have the drink package, you're considering the drink package, you can always wait to go on board the ship and go to the pub. The pub is where you're gonna find the greatest selection or the widest selection of beers, Nick, and see what they got and then go from there as an option. Perhaps that'll give you a better idea of what to expect and then you have a better idea if you're actually gonna be drinking that much. Or, you know, again, I don't know if like craft beers are like something that's like critical for you or just a nice to have, but it's not the widest selection in the whole wide world. So just keep that in mind. Our next email uh, this week comes to us from Drew. All right, so I'm going on a cruise for the first time this summer on Symphony of the Seas with my family, so it'll be our first cruise for them as well. First question. So I'm a 15-year-old close to 16 at the time of our cruising. I was wondering if I would be able to go into the solarium for some peace and quiet. I believe the age required is 16, but I can easily pass for 17-ish. Do you think I would be allowed in? Drew, I think your answer is probably yes. I mean, there's nobody sitting at the front of it, like checking your ID, like, oh, excuse me, sir, how old are you? It's more of a, really, if you were causing an issue, somebody could question you about it, but just tell them you're 16. Don't even mention the 15 and a half or three quarters. Just be like, oh, I'm 16, you know? I mean, I don't think you're being unreasonable. You're not 13, you're not 12, you're 15 and some change. That's that's essentially 16. You're in the spirit of that, but I don't think you'll have any issues whatsoever, especially if you, like you say, you're easily passing for 17-ish. Don't shave that day and you'll be good. Drew's second question is, do you have a schedule for your live streams? They are great, but I often miss them. Thanks again for your channel. It's been a great resource in helping my parents plan this trip. Sorry to be redundant, but I also posted this comment on a video. No worries, Drew. Thank you very much. And the answer to your question is there is a schedule to some extent. I do a live stream uh, every day of the week. Uh, Mondays are on YouTube. Tuesdays are on Facebook. Wednesdays are on Periscope. Thursdays are on Instagram. Fridays on Periscope. And Saturdays on Facebook again. And if there, I don't have times, specific times, Drew. It just varies too much. So my advice to you is to subscribe to the various channels that I mentioned and turn on your notifications both in the app and on your phone. And hopefully that'll do a good job of alerting to you when we go live. So thanks for the email, Drew. Really appreciate that. Our next email comes to us from Steve Lodi from California. First time cruiser, podcast subscriber. Love your podcast. Uh, good news, I've lost 30 pounds in anticipation of our upcoming cruise on Freedom of the Seas this summer. Congratulations. My wife asked what my weight goal is. I told her to put some weight back on while I'm bored. She said, why would you do that when you've made such progress? I said, look, I purchased the beverage packages, dining packages, and arranged main dining room reservations. There is no way I'm going to be staying on a diet while on a cruise. And she said, you're right. I'm not always right, but I think I am this time. I can always be back on diet when I get home. Thanks for all your helpful information. Steve, it's, it's, uh, thanks for sharing this. I would tell you, honestly, the key to not overeating, in my opinion, based on all my cruises, is to limit your snacking. Like, at home, think about how you eat at home. And I know you're first-time cruisers, you really can't think how you eat on a ship. But in my experience, when we're on a ship, the problem is I don't, like, I'm not eating, like, donuts and and the most gluttonous foods I can think of. The problem is, in addition to the meals, I'm just, I'm stopping by Sorrento's to pick up pizza. Or I walk by Cafe Promenade and I grab a sandwich. Or we're in the Windjamer and my kids are having a meal and I'm like, well, I'm already here. Let me grab some Indian curry. So I'm just constantly eating. And all that extra food that you're consuming, obviously there's calories and all adds up. So if you're looking to limit your, your consumption on board, my advice is to try to limit the snacking. It's easier said than done. But when you walk by the pizza, when you walk by the burger stand, any of those places, 
try to avoid the temptation to just, oh, just one for the road, a little snack, because think about how you eat at home. You know, when you're at, think about when you're at work, right? You, you get up in the morning, you have a cup of coffee, maybe you have a breakfast, right? But mostly you're probably not eating anything from, let's say eight or 9 a.m. all the way until lunchtime, right? At least that's my experience. Maybe you guys are all different than me, but you know, to the same extent, try not to eat anything before then. It, it's hard to, it's, it's actually harder to put into practice than I say, and anybody who's cruised before knows exactly what I'm talking about. But if that makes you any feel any better, I mean, certainly, look, you're on vacation. You spent a lot of hard work getting where you're where you're going. I don't think anyone here faults you for it. But I also don't know that you have to go completely off the rails and, you know, just be eating everything you can find. I feel like if you can try to limit yourself to closer to mealtimes, it will help considerably. Now, the drink package is a whole different story, but at least that's liquid calories. And, you know, there's the, there's a whole different consideration there. Next email is from our blog member, Larry Muster, writes, Matt, took me longer than I than some, but I started using a travel agent at MEI Travel, of course, for all my cruise vacations. And by the way, Larry, thank you for supporting our sponsor. It's been a great relief knowing that I have a travel agent helping me keep things straight, straighten out what is not, and just keeping track of it all. I had one hiccup with the travel agent, but the origin was me not fully reading one of the documents I was supposed to review. I'm on a chartered cruise from March 2020. I'm excited about the cruise and I've done may have done it even if it wasn't on Royal Caribbean. Excited to be back on Explorer this season as she was my first ship about 10 years ago. My question is, what classic Royal Caribbean events and amenities of my Diamonds ads can I expect to be enjoyed on a chartered cruise? Larry, thanks for the email. So I've never done a chartered cruise, Larry, but my understanding is all your Crown and Anchor benefits are suspended on charter cruises. They don't, they don't apply. I could be wrong on this, but what I've heard uh, from other cruisers is when there's a charter in which the entire ship is chartered, I'm not talking about like partial charters. I'm talking like, you know, I can't go book the same sailing you're on because it's been chartered. Then the uh, a lot of those benefits or some of those uh, perks, if you will, don't apply. Again, I could be wrong on this, but that's what I've heard about. In terms of classic Royal Caribbean events, uh, that that's tough to also answer. I mean, there's going to be other events going on. I mean, I don't think your charter event is going to encompass all the activities, but there are since I've, I've certainly seen situations in which they've set up, you know, there, as an example, there have been music festivals on cruise ships where they'll set up like uh, different stages for bands to perform, like on the pool deck and in various places that don't usually have them there. Obviously, that would take the place of a, probably a lot of live music that's on there. Uh, so it's, it's hard to answer your question, Larry. I can't give you a definitive answer, but I would expect a change. It's not a standard Royal Caribbean cruise. And, and for that reason, depending on how the charting company arranged with Royal Caribbean, I would expect there to be not quite the same level of classic Royal events, as you say, and diamond status. Uh, if you're on a, if you're on a chartered sailing, the classic example is I was on a media sailing that Royal Caribbean invited me to not too long ago. And I had my, you know, I'm a diamond plus member and I tried to get a drink with my diamond plus coupon. And they told me the bartenders, I tried this like two or three times and the bartenders were like, no, unfortunately we can't offer this to you because this is not a revenue sailing. And so your diamond status doesn't apply here for this particular benefit. So keep that in mind as you go there. So you'll have a great time, dude. I wouldn't worry too much about it, but you should also have that expectation in line. So. Next, we have an email from Kim who writes, thanks for all you do to help our fellow cruisers prepare for our sailings. We recently returned from a nine night sailing on Grandeur of the Seas out of Baltimore, Maryland back in May. This is my fourth cruise, but first with kids. Our boards are eight and four and a half. We had an overnight Bermuda with stops at Nassau and Coco Key. Previous cruising experiences include a honeymoon cruise on Princess with another couple, another Princess cruise with just my husband, 
Uh, moms only cruise with 11 other mom friends on Brilliance of the Seas and this cruise with just our family of four. I was incredibly nervous choosing such a small ship for our first family cruising experience, but we got such a great deal, 60% off second guest plus kids sail free and live only 45 minutes from the Baltimore port, so we couldn't pass up the opportunity. This nine night cruise cost us less than five nights at Disney World last year at a value resort. We couldn't have had a more perfect experience. No one got sick. The crew on Grandeur was phenomenal. There was plenty of our kid, for our kids to do on four sea days that did not include Adventure Ocean. We loved our ports of call. Weather was amazing the entire trip. Food fantastic. Truly best vacation ever. Some constructive notes. The evening shows varied in quality. The Centrum can constantly smell of cigarette smoke coming from the casino. There really should be a better ventilation system or doors to block the smoke from coming out. It can be smelled at Cafe Latitudes in our gallery on the deck above and throughout the Centrum. We frequently didn't, were not able to enjoy the Centrum entertainment from any floor unless a spot was available on the port side away from the casino on two or three floors up deck six through seven. Would love to chat about you with the experiences. Uh, it's less shiny and new from your recent post on Symphony and Harmony, but helpful information for those scared of smaller ships or sailing with kids. Best wishes on your continued success in helping fellow cruisers. Kim, love this. Thank you so much for joining me and, and sharing this information here. And I love hearing from folks who get to try a ship that's maybe a little out of their wheelhouse and grandeur of the seas, as you mentioned, smaller ship, but I'm really glad to hear that you had a fantastic time on there. I'm not surprised to hear that. I think all too often people think, oh my gosh, you know, are we going to be bored out of our gourds going on a vision class ship or a radiance class ship? You know, if there isn't a, if there isn't a zip line or a flow rider or, or any of those crazy whiz bang features, you know, are we just going to be, have nothing to do? And the answer is, and Kim just showed you guys here. No, there's plenty to do on board. There's lots of great stuff to do. You'll still have a great time. And I'm really glad you had a great cruise vacation. Thank you for sharing that with us. And our last email this week comes to us from uh, Melissa M, who the subject of the, her email, by the way, is YOLO booked Alaska, now have questions. Myself, my husband, and my seven-year-old daughter are going on adventure this season this summer to Canada, but that didn't stop me from YOLO booking an Alaska cruise for next year. Now that that initial YOLO booking remorse has worn off, I'm trying to figure out the best excursions for us. My son will be eight by summer 2020. I know I heard you talk about the Mendenhall Glacier. I'm trying to see if there's a way for us to get it without doing an all-day excursion. Also, what's the best train excursion to take in Skagway? All right, let's start with there. You guys, Melissa has other questions. Number one, you don't need an excursion at all to go to Mendenhall Glacier just to like see it. You can take a taxi, so don't book anything, Melissa. Walk off the ship, find a taxi. There'll be tons waiting for you and be like, excuse me, can you take me to... The park is actually not called Mendenhall Glacier Park, but they'll know what you're talking about. Take you right there. And if you need to leave there, there's tons of taxis there to take you back. If you stay there pretty late, and I've done that before, there is a little, the, the ranger stand at the front of the park, they can call one. That happened to us. We weren't able to get one. Actually, don't forget, you're also part of the United States. Your cell phone will work in uh, in Juneau here at the park, so you shouldn't have any issues getting a a ride back, although it may not be a bad idea to take the, the card or number of whatever taxi driver brings you over there. So yeah, you don't need to book an excursion. You can do it as little as you want. I thought, Melissa, we wouldn't want to spend a lot of time there, but in retrospect, I wish we had spent all day there. It was so, it was so great. My daughter was seven at the time, so a little younger than your son is going to be, but uh, we had a great time in there. It's, it's a lot of fun. Let the kids go first. So be like, are right, you guys, you guys lead the way. Look for any bears. Let us know if you see any, you know, and you'll have a great time. The best train excursion to take in Skagway, definitely the White Pass. A lot of people swear by that one. Uh, quite frankly, I don't know if there is another option, but the White Pass is the way to go. Melissa also writes, uh, do you recommend using a travel agent to try to find flights? We'll be traveling out of Philly 
uh, to Seattle. We already use MEI for our cruise. Love the podcast and the YouTube and the blog. You're the reason we're trying Royal Caribbean. We've done Disney in the past seven, but the, it, we've done Disney in the past, but the seven night Alaska cruise is less money than four nights Bahamas with Disney. So you can see why we're trying to branch out. Melissa, I am so proud of you. You're doing the right thing. You're going to love it. I'm telling you it's right now, not only is Royal Caribbean a great experience, not only are you saving a lot of money, but Alaska, holy moly, you're going to be blown away by it. it. I was as well. And to that point, I'm already going back in 2020. That's how much I really, really wanted to get back there. So to answer your question, should you use a travel agent to help find flights? No, I don't think so. For domestic airfare, there's no point to it. You'll do better on your own. Uh, first of all, the, the airlines don't pay the travel agents anything anyway, so it, it's kind of a disservice to them. But more to the point, when it, they can certainly point you in the right direction and offer you advice. You should definitely reach out to your travel agent if you're looking for advice on that. But really, when it comes to flights, you're better off just booking it on your own. Uh, my recommendations are to always consider other airports. You mentioned you're traveling out of Philly. So perhaps there's, you know, don't always, don't only look at airfare from, you know, Philadelphia International, look at other airports around the area, maybe Baltimore, perhaps Trenton or other regional airports I can't think of that are near you, but always consider other airports. Maybe you'll find a better deal on flights that go out of there or, or back there, so to speak. Uh, and Seattle, I mean, you could fly to Vancouver. I highly, highly doubt that would be any cheaper. You could maybe go to Portland, Oregon and make a little bit of a trip. I don't know if you want to be that crazy, but again, consider other airports, all airlines, you know, booking airfare is, is very much a game. There's, I wish I could tell you rules and, and tricks that apply in the same way we do that for cruising, but for airfare, it is very much a game. And uh, it, it's just, you just gotta play that game and eventually, hopefully it will work out in your favor. So Melissa, thank you so much for the email. Thank you to everybody for the emails and thank you for listening to this week's episode. And until next time, I'm Matt Hochberg and we'll talk again real soon.